sometimes there are conversations that get broken down and have a little bit more intimacy or weight to them. We are going to enter into one of those conversations today. So what I'm going to ask you is this. If you normally have to get up and go to the bathroom or you have, you know, you'd like to go out and make sure your car is still there in the middle of the service or whatever it is, and you feel like you're going to move during the service, could I ask you to maybe consider moving at this particular point and maybe move to, um, if you have a child with you that you think that's going to be a little restless. We have wonderful rooms to accommodate that. We love kids and all, but today we're going to open up some stuff, and there are people here hanging on by their fingernails to life, and we're going to be addressing those issues, and this is going to be like one of those particular moments. Um, thank you so much. Uh, but the series has been great. It's been awesome. It's been wonderful to me, helping me restore dignity to my own personal life, help me revisualize Jesus, not biblically, but to kind of having the video helps a little bit, you know, because a lot of us see Jesus as a Catholic Jesus or a white Jesus or as a Baptist Jesus or, or you know, and this kind of helps us get back to seeing Jesus as he's represented in the scriptures and help us visualize him a little different. But we're going to see a scene out of The Chosen, and this is a great way to start, um, that's not actually in the Bible. Yeah, that's a pretty good start right there, is that we're going to show you a scene that's not actually in the Bible. Jesus is going to have a conversation uh, with one of his disciples that probably happened. You say, well, why would you show it if it's not exactly in the Bible? Well, there are things in the Bible that are called explicit truths. Jesus basically says, this is it. You don't have to figure it out. Here's the truth. I'm being explicit with you. Love your neighbor. Boom, that's explicit. It's like everybody gets it. Everybody knows what there, it is. Then um, there are other truths that are, that are kind of like um, uh, implied to us is that there's, you know, you think a husband, a husband is supposed to love his wife. Well, what does that mean? Well, I think you begin to pull some of the scriptures together and you begin to realize, get a picture of, of you, know, it's, you know, the Bible doesn't say husbands go shopping with your wives, but you pull enough scriptures together, you better hop in the car, you know, because you can pull it together. Well, this is one of those conversations where Things are pulled together from Paul, from Jesus, from other places in Scripture that kind of become an amalgamation, and this idea is communicated. So Jesus is going to have a conversation with a guy named James. He calls him Little James. And the reason why he calls him Little James is because there were two James in the group of disciples. So biblically, one is called James the Greater. Well, we're never told what the other James was called, and we don't want to call him James the Lesser. I mean, that's not, that's a heck of a nickname. Uh, so the, the show calls him Little James. But he's having a conversation with James, and we don't know really anything about James, but he's going to be presented as somebody with a disability. And this is, this is going to be important. Um, he's going to be presented, uh, he's just been told, James and the disciples have been told they're going to be sent out to heal and to preach the gospel and to do all these amazing things. So this, we know that's in the Bible and they're being told this. But we also know that the same guys that are being told this probably have something wrong with them. It's not like everybody gets cleaned up because they have Jesus. Not that everybody, not everybody's, you know, 
uh, blood pressure goes down because they know Jesus. Everybody's cholesterol is good because they know Jesus. So what it, it does is it takes that idea that we are called to love Jesus, we are called with this incredible promise of God, but then we live in the tension with the ex- things that we experience in our life. And this story, this presentation kind of explores that conversation that not only is put together here, but it's a conversation we're all having in our hearts about God. So let's watch together. Master. Little James. May I have a moment? Of course. I am. Forgive me, I'm uh, not always confident to speak. Slow to speak. It's a very good quality. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a question. Please? So you're sending us out with the ability to heal the sick and lame. Yes, that, that is what you said. Yes. So you're telling me that I have the ability to heal. difficult to imagine with my condition, which you haven't healed. Do you want to be healed? Yes, of course, if if that's possible. I think you've seen enough to know it's possible. Why haven't you? Because I trust you. What? Little James. Precious little James. I need you to listen to me very carefully. Because what I'm going to say defines your whole life to this point and will define the rest of your life. Do you understand? In the Father's will, I could heal you, right now. And you'd have a good story to tell, yes? Yes, that you do miracles. And that's a good story. But there are already dozens who can tell that story. And there will be hundreds more, even thousands. But think of the story that you have, especially in this journey to come, if I don't heal you. to know how to proclaim that you still praise God in spite of this. To know how to focus on all that matters so much more than the body. To show people that you can be patient with your suffering here on earth because you know you'll spend eternity with no suffering. Not everyone can understand that. How many people do you think the Father and I trust this with? Hmm? Not many. But the others, they're so much more. So much more what? I don't know. Stronger? Better at this? James, I love you. But I don't want to hear that ever again. I know how easy it is to say the Song of David, that I fearfully and wonderfully made. 
but it doesn't make this any easier. And in this group, it doesn't make me feel like any less of a burden. A burden? First of all, it is far easier to deal with your slow walking than it is to deal with Simon's temper. Trust me. Are you fast? Do you look impressive when you walk? Maybe not. But these are things a father doesn't care about. You are going to do more for me than most people ever dream. So many people need healing in order to believe in me. Or they need healing because their hearts are so sick. That doesn't apply to you. And many are healed or not healed because the Father in Heaven has a plan for them which may be a mystery. And we remember what Job said. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you pass from this earth and you meet your Father in Heaven, where Isaiah promises you will leap like a deer, your reward will be great. So hold on a little longer. And when you discover yourself finding true strength because of your weakness, and when you do great things in my name, in spite of this, the impact will last for generations. Do you understand? Yes. Thank you, Master. A man like you, healing others. Oh, what a sight. I can't wait to hear your stories when you return. Shalom, my son. Shalom. And James. Remember, you will be healed. It's only a matter of time. This episode reminds us of the difficult situations that we're in that God doesn't seem to change in our lives, but we've asked him to. Let me be clear, I don't think God makes people suffer. I think there's enough energy in our biological systems, our choices, our physics, our society to provide all the suffering that's absolutely necessary on this planet. But sometimes God chooses to not override it. There are times when God miraculously heals. But then there are times that God allows things to, to remain. Um, this is not, today is not about a conversation about why God does or doesn't 
because I think there's something bigger in that episode than, than whether or not I can figure out for you why you're still sick or why you're still alone or why you're still having difficulty in your life. Um, if that was the sole thing that was wrong with humanity, well, then I would try to answer that question for you. But I think there's something even deeper here that does answer the question in the midst of this conversation that is a primary statement of scriptural truth, and that is this, that in the hands of Jesus, no life is wasted. No life is wasted. In the care of Jesus, no pain is ignored. And in the life of Jesus, there is no death that is really the end of life. But in the middle of it, we suffer. And we, we not only physically suffer or mentally or emotionally suffer, but we, there is the self-imposed suffering that happens to us that sometimes can be worse than the other suffering. And it's the suffering that we that happens at the hands of, uh, of comparison and with regret. When we begin to compare the outcome of our lives or our health or our situation with other people, the regret of what we could have done in the past but we didn't do in the past, and, and here we are today. The crazy thing is, is we compare someone else's outside life to our inside life. We'll look at what their outside life is and because we don't know what their inside life is. We don't know how crazy it is going on inside of their heads. We don't know about their insecurities. We don't know about all that stuff, but we'll compare the darkest thoughts and feelings that we have about ourselves to all that everyone else lets us see on their, their outside life. You know, if we wouldn't feel less than if everybody was poor but not everybody is. We wouldn't feel inadequate if everyone failed, but we don't see that. We wouldn't feel like a burden if everyone was disabled. Uh, we wouldn't feel single if everyone was alone. The reason why we feel these things, since they are not the reality, is because we compare ourselves. We begin to look at our lives and compare it to what everybody else is doing and, and we begin to, the weight of that begins to bear on us. We look at what we could have been and what we could have become and then what we actually did and then we become overwhelmed with regret. But God wants you to know today that in Jesus, and I'm gonna say this phrase in Jesus a lot and we will end with this phrase in Jesus, there is no wasted life, no matter where you are right now. There's a story that really speaks to me. It's, it's of a, the patriarch known as Joseph. Joseph comes to us out of Genesis 37. He's like 1,000 years before uh, Jesus comes along, so he's, he's a really old dude. And, but he's somebody that learned early on in his life about the power of evil and loss, but he also learned how God could use that loss and that evil that had happened to him. And for him, particularly, his evil came from his family. Um, but he didn't always feel that way. We're introduced to Joseph. He's about 17 years of age, and he is just pumping with potential. You remember that? 
You remember being 15 or 17 years old, and you're, you're just like pumping with, with potential. And I mean, look at these guys. They can't even stand it. They're just pumping with potential here on the front row. But it's that time in your life when you're just, it's like anything can happen. And we're told that Joseph had dreams. And these dreams were given to him by God. He didn't know what they were, but there were these dreams that God had spoken into his life. But we're also told Joseph is giving something else. He's not only given vision for what life should be from the Holy Spirit, he's also given a tunic from his father. Now, I know it's like, well, what's with this tunic? You've probably heard about the uh, technicolored uh, coat of Joseph. Joseph was given a tunic that had varied colors to it. Now, at this particular time, with a nomadic tribe of people, the uh, normal uh, wear of the day was probably muted colors because having colors, having dyes, was an expression of being, having wealth. Well, Jacob had 12 sons, but he decided to bestow on one of his boys a tunic of multicolors. And this tunic is going to really speak to us today because the tunic represented the promise and the beauty of life. You know, it, it represented potential. It was fresh. It was new. It was beautiful. It represented high potential, high expectation of life. It represented for, for Joseph, it represented I'm special. I'm different than everybody else. There's something unique. I'm a snowflake. I am unlike anybody else in the world, and there I am so different than everyone else. And Joseph loves his tunic. Apparently, he wears it everywhere um, because the tunic made him feel special. And, and why wouldn't it make you feel special? Have you ever felt special by something? You know, um, me and Susan went to the Grand Canyon when we were at the Grand Canyon. One of our daughters surprised us with, we were staying on the property. We were staying at a hotel called El Tavar, which is pretty cool. I mean, just right on the edge of the Grand Canyon. But they got us the presidential suite, okay? I mean, so, you know, Woodrow Wilson, somebody else, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, some of the other presidents stayed in this. And, and this room has a, a deck uh, that you walk out on and um, you're on the rim, and you're, you're in your room, and you're on the rim, and all the other schmucks are walking around with their cameras, you know, trying to get and take pictures. But we were up there, and I'll tell you, we were in our robes, our white robes. You know, and I was so unabashed about it. I was so proud of my robe. There I am, you know, with my robe, waving to the little people that are down there. You know, it's like feeling so special in this, this hotel room. And then we had to leave the room, because we... They could only afford it for one night. I mean, it was, it was like $1,500 a night. And so it was like, you know. So then we had to go to the schmuck room. Uh, I mean, it was like, really? We got to stay here? I hate the Grand Canyon. But you, 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 you know, um, when you have that tunic on, you feel special. You feel something awesome about your life. And, and Joseph felt like that. It was a reminder. Even his brothers, when it was far off, they could tell it was Joseph. Why? Because of the silhouette of his coat. But then Joseph's life gets real. Because of jealousy, his brothers plot to kill him. Um, and uh, they grab him. They throw him into a pit. 
They were about to kill him when one of the brothers decides to convince the rest, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. And that's what happens to his life. Let me read it to you. And when his brothers saw him from a distance, and before they came close to them, he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then, come let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will come of his dreams. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and they threw him into the pit, and now the pit was empty without any water in it. I think it's incredible that the writer of this story felt it very important for you and I to know that he wasn't just stripped, that he wasn't just manhandled, he wasn't just thrown into a pit, but it actually gives storyline to the multi or very colored tunic. It wants us to know through the story what happens to the tunic, and that has meaning. See, because Joseph is not going to die. Joseph is going to be stripped. He's going to be stripped of that which makes him beautiful, that which makes him youthful, that which makes him strong, that which makes him special, that which makes him different, that part of his life that is beautiful, that is going to be stripped from his life. And see, and it would be better, you'd say, I'd rather be dead. And some of you are right there today. That because you've been stripped of certain qualities in your life, certain potentials of your life, you're now living in depression because you would rather be dead. And life does something worse to you. It lets you live as a slave. It lets you live as a slave. You're now enslaved by it. See, for every one of us, and, we, and this is the sobering part about it, is that the brothers represent the inevitable. That we're walking, and as, as Joseph is walking to his brothers, they are approaching the malevolence of death, the malevolence of life. He takes steps toward it. And every one of us, no matter we're 15 or whether we're 80, we're constantly moving towards the malevolence of life that has only one purpose in it. It's to rob you of your dream just to strip you of life. They stripped him. See, there's going to be a statement here that I think is incredibly powerful. So they took Joseph's tunic and they slaughtered a male goat, dipped the tunic in the blood, and they said, sent the very colored tunic and brought it to the father. Listen, What's up with the tunic? Why are we writing so much about this garment that he had? They sent it to the father and said, we found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. And then the father, Jacob, examined it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned his son for many days. 
See, this is the problem. They think that the tunic and Joseph are one. They think as goes the tunic, so goes Joseph. If you don't have the tunic, you don't have Joseph. And we do this all the time. If I don't have money, if I don't have my health, if I don't have youth, if I don't have somebody in my life, if I'm, if I'm stripped of my job, if I'm, if I'm having to face difficulty in my life, what is my life? I mean, what is it all worth? I mean, I mean if I don't have sports, how many times have I told God, well, Lord God, as long as you don't take this from me, I'll be okay. Lord, as long as you don't take her from me, I'll be okay. Lord God, as long as you don't take my job from me. And then, then as I walk down the journey of life and I approach the malevolence of life and death, things begin to get stripped away. See, once the tunic is bloodied and stained by life, they feel that the life is over. They mistakenly think that the God dream is over. I think so many of us are facing a time when that beauty, that hope for our lives has been stripped away. I wrote down a couple that I've gone through. I wrote down a couple of things that I know that I've seen kind of just like rip the multicolored coat from you. Here's a couple of them. For me, and I, now it even seems juvenile, me reading it, but you were told that you, don't, you can't do sports, the sports that you love anymore. I mean, I, I know that may not be a big deal for you. It's a big deal for me. I love sports. I love playing sports, and I valued it. It was my multicolored coat. The crazy thing was I was never really any good at them. But it was my coat, and I had few good colors on it. And then when, you know, you start getting older, you start getting injured, all of a sudden, it's like that gets stripped away from you. Maybe, maybe you realize that you don't have what it takes to get to the next self-imposed level. I know this is un-American to even say. What if you've gone as far as you can go? Oh, no. No, sky's the limit. If you can imagine it, if you can dream it, you can do it. Bullcrap. There are people on this planet that run faster than you and will always run faster than you. I, was in a, I ran my heart out. I was, I was good. I was a 932 two-miler. But I always, always, always was second best. Alberto Salazar had to be running in my state when I was running. He went on to run the Olympics, the he ran an 854 two-mile in high school. He won the New York Marathon for five years. So it was like, I was never going to be numero uno. But maybe you're in a place right now where you're, you're like, you're being faced with the fact that maybe you've reached your potential. And it's like, I got to go to the next level. I got to do whatever it takes to go to the next level. What if you can't go to the next level? What are you going to do if you can't? Uh, we have a varying amount of intelligence in this room. We, we, we are not created equal, okay? Some of you are smarter than me. Some of you are dumber than me. 
See, I'm not supposed to say that part. I'm only supposed to say that some of you are smarter than me. Some of you are wealthier than me. Some of you are poorer than me. Some of you, uh, I mean, and, and, and what we find out at about 50, you find out all of a sudden the coat is pulled away and you're like, oh, wow. The worst thing happens to you that happens to an American. You find out you're average. God forbid that we be average. You know, we're just told that we're just supposed to be the best. Well, what if you're like James and it's like, no, you're going to limp for the rest of your life. That part of your body, your hip, it, it's going to hurt every morning and you're going to have to do those crazy stretches and, and, and your life is, is going to be difficult for the rest of your life. Or you may be alone for the rest of your life. Um, what do you do in a situation like that? You may find yourself divorced and single again. You may have been told, and it happened to a family, and I, I, I asked them for his position, uh, permission to say this. Wonderful young couple, got two children. Life is going on great for them. They're having a wonderful thing. They, they have this little baby boy, and about the age he turns one, and you know, uh, all of a sudden you find out he's got the third level of autism. And it's like all of a sudden you got this little child that you were... You bought a fishing rod for. You bought a, you know, when he was born, you got a little mitten for him because you and your boy were going to play catch together. And this boy's going to need one-on-one care for the rest of his life. And all of a sudden you realize, I'm never going fishing with this little guy. And all of a sudden, boom, this multicolored coat is gone. It could be seeing the vitality of life just leaking from you as you age. It could be the force of a disability upon you. It may be the loss of a loved one that you depended on so much that made your life rich, made your life awesome. And all of a sudden, a family that I'm walking with this week lost their 21-year-old. And all of a sudden, the coat is taken off. Maybe you're left to sort out the impact of an sexual abuse against you. Or you discover midlife that maybe you're not such a snowflake after all. You realize that maybe there's a lot of, lot of you out there that you're special like a lollipop has been licked off. Um, and I know some of you are like, dang, this guy is so daggum depressing. No, it gets better, though. If it hasn't happened to you yet, uh, it will. It didn't happen to me until I was 60. It really was. It wasn't until a sequence of events in my life. I was going on jolly, greater than everybody. Um, I was going to be stunning and amazing all my life. And, And all of a sudden, the coat got taken off of me. Life will strip you of your cloak Um, of value and potential. See, we all uh, look for valuation in a lot of different things. There's speculative valuation, like a stock. This is going to be worth money one day. I'm going to pursue that. Position that we have at our jobs, we think think that that's, and, and if that's your coat, your position is like, God help you when you lose your job. Maybe it's our wealth, maybe it's our appearance, maybe it's 
the prospects of life, we all fall for it. Every one of us. This was a stupid illustration, but let me just show you one of the things that we fall for. Um, apparently, the one on the right is better than the one on the left. Um, not because science told us that, but because some TikTok user decided that they were going to buy a Stanley and did a really cool TikTok video on it. Nobody wants the Hydro Flask anymore. Everybody wants the Stanley. And you're willing to pay $120. See, my generation, Stanley, Stanley tools, Stanley devices, they sucked. I'm serious. Like, oh, no, you wanted a craftsman, you know. Um, you wanted some really good tools. There's another one that mechanics use. What is that one? Snap. There you go. You, you, wanted your, you wanted your snap on. But, you know, we do this, and it's like, okay, oh, so both of them keep your ice cold. Okay, the science on the Stanley. After six days, your water will be colder. Let me just tell you, if you have water sitting in a, in a flask for six days, you're a loser, okay? <laughs> you're really not interested in water. You're supposed to drink it, not save it like that. You say, well, that's really stupid. No, we fall for it. Let me just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the ladies' department a little bit. Um, let's talk Botox. I know it's like, oh, dude, you just ended your life. Okay? How many of us, or how many of you, because uh, I, I ain't doing this. I, I, do, I got my own stupid, but this ain't stupid. How many are willing to take a toxic element into your body, inject it into your body, so that you can have lips like, you know, you'll have them injected in here so you can look like that. Um, how many of us will uh, inject our foreheads with this stuff and knowing that it can deaden your nerve function? You may not smile again, but you won't have wrinkles. You know, and you're perfectly happy with looking like this for the rest of your life you know, and you think, I am keeping my multicolored coat on. And it's, it's like absolutely ridiculous. It's like, like if a woman has lines under her face or on her forehead, you think it's all gone. Well, I'm telling you, first of all, speaking for all men over the age of 60, and uh, uh, I think a little lines look pretty cool on a gal. Okay, I, I think, I don't think women become beautiful. I'm just saying, this is my, I'm sticking to this, 50. When you hit 50, then, okay, anybody can be cute at 19. But being elegant at 50, that's something else. But we will try to keep looking 25, these stupid, I'm sorry, I shouldn't get this excited. But you'll see these celebrities and you'll see the mom taking a picture with the daughter, and they'll be like, which one's the mom? And it's like, I'll tell you which one's the mom. The narcissistic sick one in the, in the picture who's trying to look like her daughter. But dudes do this all the time, too. I mean, if you're a 65-year-old guy and you're doing uh, deadlifts at CrossFit, you need to grow up. Become a grandfather. Lean into it. Love your wife. Yeah, but I gotta be ripped. Really, why? We're not impressed. You know? 
I know I just went out on a limb there and I lost probably two-thirds of the congregation for next week. But there's serious stuff that happens to all of us that's, that's not as funny as that. What God wants you to know, that as a child of God, you don't need a tunic to live a valued life. Joseph didn't need his tunic. He thought he did. His brothers thought, if I, we steal his tunic, we've killed Joseph. Even his dad thought that. As a child of God, your bloody life doesn't end the dream of God for you. With Jesus, there is no life that is wasted. There's no life, to, uh, no wasted life. Though Joseph has these unfortunate events in his life, he moves without the tunic with the confidence of God. That's what God wants us to have. That's what Jesus was trying to convey in this conversation. When in slavery, Joseph knows he belongs to God. When in prison, he knows he belongs to God. When he's uncertain about his future, he knows that he belongs to God, even without his tunic. Years later, Joseph encounters his brothers, and the brothers think that they're going to be angry, that he's going to be angry, because, you know, it all started with taking the tunic. It's like, nobody can live without that. Nobody can live without, you know, great health. Nobody can live without a lot of money, nobody can live without a great job, and we messed that up for him. And, and they encounter a Joseph that they are dumbfounded by. Because Joseph says this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. He discovered that you don't have to have a flashy tunic in order to experience the plan of God for your life. See, the God dream didn't go anywhere with Joseph. It remained. Even when the tunic was taken away. And, and where are you right now with all this? See, there's a promise of life, of living God's dream for your life, even after life has been stripped from you. Even after the tunic has been removed. And too many of us just give up. I've been there. I've wanted to give up. Dozens of times. There is life after sexual compromise. And I don't care what kind of sexual compromise. I mean, I don't care if it's as weird as can be. There is life after you've given it away. There's life after sexual assault against you. There's life after having an abortion. There's life after the kids move away. And there's life also when the kids don't move away. There's life after 15 years of marriage and you begin to think that you married the wrong person. There's life after addiction happens and tears up your life. There's life after depression steals your happiness. There's life when you get old and everything hurts. But if we're going to live a life where we think a new mug or a little Botox or having a personal bench on the, you know, uh, uh, in the weight room defines who we are, 
I'm here to tell you, one day life is going to take away your tunic. And who are you going to be then? What is going to be left when you don't get the job, when you lose the job? But the problem is, is that so many of us are using all of our energy to hold on to the tunic. We're working so hard to hold on to it. And God wants us to know that we are loved, that we are a child of God, that our life is not a waste. Now, does this mean that, well, bump achievement, bump success, bump trying hard? See, humility is not, is not resignation. It isn't. That's not what humility is. Humility is not quitting. Humility is not saying I suck. Humility is recognizing with your eyes wide open what your weaknesses are, what your strengths are, and dealing with both of them in the way that God wants you to. But we're, we're a culture that hides all that. We want everybody to see our successes. I mean, how many of you this year have posted a really ugly picture of yourself on Facebook? I, I'm just as vain as all of you. My kids will take family pictures at Christmas time and we'll sit down and go through them and I will give them, uh, I will tell them, that can go on Facebook, that can't go on Facebook, that can't go on. I don't care if my grandchild is blooming and, uh, you know, playing the piano at two. If you're hitting me from my side and you see my saggy bags under my eyes, I mean, I went from when I was 17, I was like Joshua. I had beautiful freckles, blue eyes, you know, just face was just nice and taut and, and everything was fine. Then someplace about 40, my freckles got together and said they were going to form a topographical map of the United States. And now those little freckles become what we call sunspots, you know? And, and it's like, and you could do it. I have put on the magic creams. I have paid a hundred, I'm sorry to say this, it's like, pastor, it's like, I, I, I have spent $150 for Lanscombe, don't even know what that is. It's a company that you buy face cream, magic face cream to smoothen in the cracks. You know what that is? They call it putty at Lowe's. That's, that's, it's called speckle at Home Depot. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with reaching for the stars, doing your best, but humility is recognizing that you will embrace your weaknesses, your failures, your successes, and your potential with the heart of God, realizing that he loves you and that you don't have to have a tunic in order for the dream of God to happen in your life. We all need to be honest about our tunics. They don't save us. They don't define us. They will all be stripped from us. One of you that's married here today, and I love my wife incredibly, and just the thought of not having her brings tears to my eyes. But one of us will leave first. Um, we all at one time will step away from our jobs. We will all at one time have a doctor's visit that will be unfavorable. We will all at one time get replaced by somebody younger, smarter, or maybe even, if we're honest, better equipped to do the job. 
It is universal. It will be taken from us. There is, this is why God calls what he is offering to us and to mankind and to every single one of us something, it's a beautiful word. This is what God's offering. He's not offering you a blue, beautiful tunic. You know, here's what he's offering you. It's better than a tunic. It's called redemption. See, God doesn't just want to save you from hell. God wants to redeem your dignity. God wants to free you from your tunic. See, some of you are having a hard time at job and all hell's breaking loose and you're, not, and you're failing. And you're like, God, why would you let this happen? It's like, because I want to do something better in you than to let you succeed at work. There's a verse that I love and it's been a favorite verse of mine, faithful of the wounds of a friend that sometimes God will allow a hurt to come into our lives to strip away this technicolored coat so we get a look at ourselves. That's why Paul said, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Now everybody with a multicolored coat is like, yeah, they have. They need Christianity because it's a crutch, because they're weak. I'll tell you what, you hear somebody say that to you and I hear it all the time. I just kind of smile. <sighs> you know, you're gonna lose your hip one day. You're gonna lose a loved one one day. You may even lose your mind one day. You may lose the job one day. And I know you're like, gum, this is the most depressing guy I have ever heard. No, the sooner you get this, younger you get this, that you don't have to be impressive, that you don't have to be beautiful, that you can use your money for Botox a better way, that, that a solo cup with ice will keep your water cold. Just drink it. I'm telling you, you'll start to live. You'll start to be free. And then if you get rich, you'll know how to be rich the right way. Then if you'll have a, a marriage, you'll know how to have a marriage the right way. If you'll have your health, you'll have it the right way. If you'll lose your health, you'll lose it the right way. Paul said, I have learned to be content in all things, whether in gain or in loss, I have learned to be content in all things. He said something stupid, as crazy as, when I am weak, he is strong in my life. And then he goes absurd and he says, Therefore, I will boast in my weaknesses. Take my coat. Take my multicolored coat. He said, I would rather live without that and have the power of God in my life. He said, outwardly, I'm decaying. Inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. You know, on paper, I'm pretty sorry. I mean, I really am. I, I, was, I was looking at an article the other day was um, in facing limitations as I get older. And in the article it was, how to live on retirement with just $500,000. And it was this plan that if you double clicked, it would show you how to invest $500,000. And I, if I could have thrown my laptop without looking like an idiot, I would have. 
I did not throw my laptop, but I yelled at the screen. How am I going to get $500,000? Sure, if I had $500,000, I could figure out an annuity or I could buy treasury bonds right now and I could figure that out, but I'm never going to get $500,000. And I would lay in bed at night thinking all the ways I have failed my wife, Susan, because I don't have $500,000. You know? Because I don't have a multicolored coat. And God's like, hey, Paul, am I good enough for you? You're my child. Will you be okay? Maybe you're going to, nothing wrong with this. Maybe you're going to live in a trailer on three acres of land someplace in Hollywood or the Ace Basin. No, I'm better than that. I'm supposed to live in a really big house. I'm supposed to be, no, no. It's like, dude. You're sick. You think you need this big job. You think you need this big life. You think you gotta be fast. You think you gotta be pretty. You think you gotta be the best. And God wants to free you. You got the sickness too. If you bought that Stanley Cup, you might have the sickness too. If you've ever gotten injected with Botox, maybe. If you're 65 years old and you're still spending a lot of time looking in your mirror and trying to have six-pack abs, you might, you might need to discover what it is to be loved by God. I'm not saying trying's wrong, not at all. You keep on trying. But if that is your multicolored coat, be ready to lose it any day. And then what is there to you? I think that's what the video showed that was better than anything else. This is what Jesus said in John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus is basically saying to his disciples, you were never impressive. You were never really fast. You were never the most beautiful. You were definitely never the smartest. But I chose you anyway, because I love you. He wants everybody to realize he pulls the coat right off of them. You didn't do this. You weren't good enough. I chose you. And I have appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. And that you would remain and that your fruit would remain. So, there is a fruit that does remain. I am 64 years old. I can't run, um, I can't ride my mountain bike for very long. Um, my memory is, is happening, my hands shake. Uh, I've got blood in my body in places where it shouldn't be. Um, I, can, uh, I don't have $500,000. Matter of fact, I don't even have a retirement plan other than social security. You say, what are you doing, man? Why are you telling us all this? Here, take my coat. I'm not hiding anymore. I have never been full of more joy in my life than in the weakest time of my life. I am, have never bore more fruit in my life and out of my life than when all of that started getting stripped from me. 
I know you're terrified. Some of you are exhausted because you've been working so hard to be pretty, to be handsome, to be successful. And God wants to breathe a rest into you. Nothing wrong with all that, but you're wearing it the wrong way. God wants you to know he loves you. He loves you. And one day you are going to skip like the deer, according to the book of Isaiah. He has prepared a place for you. He loves you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Let me end with this. I have to tell you a sobering truth. Romans 8, 28 says this. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For the child of God, pain is not wasted. Please take that into your soul. For the child of God, no life is wasted. But the sobering part about this verse in all of Scripture is this. Without God, pain is just pain. That's all it is. That's all it is without God. Well, it'll be used in a way. No, it's just pain. Without God, life is just the passage of time to the the grim reaper who's waiting at the other end to make this statement over your life. (laughs) Let's see what will become of her dreams. Let's see what becomes of his dreams. But with God, all things work together for good to those who love God. So as we offer you communion, out of the brokenness of Jesus' body, we have demonstrated through his resurrection, new life. See, guess what happened to Jesus when he was on the cross? We don't talk about this much. They took his tunic, didn't they? They took his tunic like Joseph's brothers took his tunic. And they rolled dice for Jesus' beautiful tunic that he had. Jesus was put on the cross naked, stripped of his multicolored cord. There he was. So much so that in this moment of nakedness, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because you know what? When you lose your coat, you lose your job, when you lose your health, when you lose your loved one, You feel like the dream is over. And three days later, Jesus pops up and says to the world, just because you lose your tunic doesn't mean the plan of God has ended for your life. Father, as we come and receive the bread and the cup, you remind us that even out of brokenness, there is the promise of new life. Unless a seed first falls to the ground and dies, it does not bear forth any fruit. God, some of us here feel like Adam and Eve. We feel naked and exposed. And some of us are spending a lot of money to put a nice fig leaf on us. But everyone else knows we can't fake it. So, Father, today we come 
in our humility to you. You are the author of life. We bring you our lives. God, we bring you our weaknesses and our successes. We pray, Lord God, out of our brokenness that you would bring new life through the power of your Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, Jesus says, come unto me, you are heavy laden and I will give you rest. You feel like your life's been stripped from you, you're broken and you feel like it's all been drained from you, your dreams have been robbed. Today, God wants to give you a new life to be born again. Invite Jesus into your life. All you have to do is you're taking the bread and the cup, just say, Jesus, come into my life. Save me, Lord Jesus. And begin your journey with God. Begin your journey with the promise over your life that he will cause all things to work together for good. We thank you, Lord.